to this place that God has provided for us. And again, I'm so grateful for uh, for the sacrifices that have been made, for the time, talent, and treasure that has been poured out uh, to turn this place into a very uh, beautiful building for us to gather in. Uh, if you're worshiping with us today, uh, if you're visiting with us today for the first time, we're really glad to have you and hope we can find a, a way to uh, connect with you after the service. Uh, very grateful to have you if you're visiting with us today. Uh, God is good, isn't he? God is good. And above everything else, today is a day to be thankful. Certainly we are thankful for this building. We are thankful for each other. We are thankful as a congregation for all the ways God has grown us and matured us. We have so much to be thankful for. You know, having a a building is a great benefit for a congregation. It's not a necessity. Uh, We could worship in catacombs if, if we had to. But it is certainly helpful to have a building uh, of our own and to have uh, sufficient space. Uh, it's helpful to have a place that we can configure as we wish to suit our liturgy and our music. Uh, it's helpful to have a place we can call our own for community and fellowship. It's helpful for mercy and mission work. You know, the local church really is the most basic building block of Christian civilization. The seeds of kingdom growth are planted right here in our gathering. So yes, we're very thankful to have this place, very thankful to uh, to have this space, such an improvement on what we had previously. Uh, we're very thankful. In fact, I want to make Thanksgiving our theme this morning. There, there's nothing that seems to be more fitting for a day like today than focusing on Thanksgiving. I chose three passages from Colossians which highlight Thanksgiving. There are countless others I could have chosen, and I'll actually uh, refer to some of those as we go. But these past, these three texts in Colossians really highlight Thanksgiving. For Christians, saying thank you is not just a matter of etiquette. It is a way of life. It's what one theologian has called thanks living. We give thanks as a way of life, as, a, as Christians. This is one of the things that marks us out. We are a people who are full of gratitude. You know, we have a tendency to count life's burdens. But Paul would say to us, count life's blessings. Consider that even your burdens are ultimately transformed into blessings. Even your burdens become a gift God gives to you for your good. And that's why we can and always should be thankful. We should be thankful at all times in any and all circumstances. You know, when you look at Paul's letters, you really see how they are permeated with thanksgiving. He often opens his letters with a word of thanks. He begins Colossians that way. In chapter 1, verse 3, he says, We always thank God, the Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. And Paul does that repeatedly in his letters, opening up with thanksgiving. He repeatedly commands thanksgiving. We see that in these texts from Colossians that we have read. When he includes prayers in his letters, they are heavily sprinkled with thanksgiving. So Paul not only commands us to give thanks, he sets us an example of what it looks like to give thanks. And of course, in doing this, Paul is just reflecting the Bible's own prayer book, the Psalter, which is certainly full of thanksgiving. One thing that stands out to me is how often thanksgiving is put in the place of some vice. There'll be some sin, and Paul will say, instead of doing that, rather give thanks. 
Uh, and so it, it, it's as if uh, Paul is showing us there is this choice between living in some particular form of sin or living a life of thanksgiving. Those are the two alternatives, as if sin is locked in a battle specifically with thanksgiving in our lives. It's like thanksgiving displaces the sin. If you want to drive the sin out, thanksgiving has to come in. It's in with the thanks and out with the sin. But in, in doing this, Paul shows us it's going to be one or the other. I think Romans 1 is a good example of this. There we find that the alternative to thanking and glorifying God is idolatry, worshiping and serving created things. And so the way Paul lays it out in Romans 1, you will either thank God, you either live in such a way that your whole life is a thank offering towards God, or you will live in idolatry, worshiping and serving created things. But it's one or the other. There is no third way to live. It's either thanksgiving or idolatry. And the only way to defeat idolatry is through thanksgiving. So Paul says, don't live in idolatry, rather live lives of gratitude. Or in uh, Ephesians chapter 5, at the beginning of that chapter, Paul says, do not let any filthiness or foolish talk or coarse jesting come out of your mouth, but rather the giving of thanks. So two different ways to use our mouths. And Paul makes it clear, you can't get rid of filthy talk unless you put some other kind of talk in its place. You can only drive out bad speech with good speech. And what is that good speech that will drive out the the filthy speech? It's thanksgiving. Paul's saying, this is how we are to live our lives. We're to live lives of thanksgiving. But what I really want you to see today is this. When you tell God thank you, that's not just a nicety. It's not just a polite thing to do. It's not just some kind of ritual we go through uh, that's that's really empty of any kind of deep content. No, that word, thanks, contains a whole worldview. That word, thanks, bound up in that word is an entire view of the world, a whole way of living life, a whole view of reality is bound up in that little word, thanks. Thanks. The word thanks contains a way of seeing, a way of looking at everything. You could say a whole theology is embedded in the word thanks. And this is true, really, even when we're telling one another thank you for something. We do things for one another. We give things to one another. You know, we give gifts to one another. We do things for one another. And we should thank one another when those things happen. But when I thank you, or when you thank me, we both know that the person being thanked is not the ultimate source of that gift. Because behind that thanks that we give to one another, we know I can only give you what I first received. And you can only give me what you have first received. So behind the gift you give me, there's another giver. And so when I thank you, I'm really thanking that giver. So even when we thank one another, behind that is the thanks we owe God. I think Philippians is maybe the most interesting illustration of this. In Paul's letter to the Philippians, the the Philippian Christians have given to Paul a sizable gift to support his ministry. And Philippians is written as a sort of thank you letter to the Philippians. But what's interesting is he never actually gets around to thanking the Philippians. He keeps alluding to it, but what you find is actually he thanks God for The gift the Philippians have given. And that's entirely appropriate. You and I are simply acting as delivery mechanisms for God. The gifts God wants to give us, he so often gives us through one another. 
But what that means is even when we thank one another, all thanks is ultimately directed towards God. Even when we Christians thank one another, God is included in the circle of giving a gift and then giving thanks in return. So I said that the word thanks contains a whole worldview. Hopefully you're starting to see that, but let me unpack this a little bit further. Obviously, giving thanks requires an other. Obviously, there must be the one you are thanking. And so, obviously, ultimately, God is the one we thank. All thanksgiving points back to him. You cannot give thanks in an atheist universe because there's no one to thank. G.K. Chesterton said it best. He said, the worst moment for an atheist is when he is really thankful and has no one to thank. The atheist will have times where feelings of gratitude well up from within, and he realizes he ought to be thankful, but there's no one to thank. And of course, this is because the atheist is out of touch with reality. At some level, he knows that. He's suppressing the truth and unrighteousness, is what uh, Paul tells us in Romans 1. If we're just matter in motion, if all there is is matter and energy, then there is no one to thank, and there is never an obligation to be thankful. And yet we feel a duty to give thanks. We have feelings of gratitude, and that feeling, that urge to give thanks, points us to our Creator, the giver of gifts. And of course, there are several classical arguments for God's existence. If you've done any uh, reading or studying in Christian apologetics, you know this. All different kinds of ways that people have argued for the existence of God. Arguments from causality, from morality, from rationality, from personality. Basically, these arguments show us that you cannot account for any of those things if there is no God. You can only account for morality, personality, rationality, and so forth, if there is a God. But maybe we should add to that the argument from gratitude. If welling up within us are feelings that we should be thankful, a sense of obligation, of duty, that we ought to be thankful, well then, there must be someone out there that we owe thanks to. If we have these feelings of thanks, there must be one that we owe gratitude towards. And, of course, that one is God. You know, I'm sure you're uh, familiar with that satirical website, the Babylon Bee. Uh, they had a uh, headline a while back that read this way. What has God ever done for me? Asks man breathing air. All right, well, what has God done? The very air you breathe is God's air. God made it. He owns it. And he gives it to you. Indeed, the very lungs that you use to suck that air in, those lungs are given to you by God. Everything you have has been given to you by God. It's all given to you as his gift. The benefits given to us by God are literally innumerable. You literally cannot count them all. And they're all freely given to us. The word thanks then confesses God as the giver of every gift. I said there's a whole worldview, a whole theology embedded in that word. Well, when we give thanks, we are confessing that God is the giver of every gift. And that word thanks, of course, then also confesses that we are his utterly dependent creatures. 
When we say thanks, we are confessing that we only exist and live and move and have our being because God called us into existence and sustains us moment by moment. And so in giving thanks, we come to know God as He is, as the good, generous, gracious giver of every gift. And we come to know ourselves as we are, as His utterly dependent and helpless creatures. See, that's the worldview in the word thanks. Let's keep going with this. In Romans chapter 1, Paul analyzes the human condition, our sinful condition going all the way back to Adam and his fall into sin, his great act of rebellion in Genesis chapter 3 when he took of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil against God's will. And the way Paul describes that problem in his analysis, the way Paul describes Adam's sin and all human sin since then, is he says, man has failed to thank and glorify God. That's the whole of the human predicament. We have failed to thank and glorify God. It's our failure, our refusal to live lives of thanksgiving towards God, to worship Him by thanking Him. And this goes all the way back to Adam and his wife in the garden when he ate of the forbidden tree in Eden. But you know what this means? You know what this suggests to us? You know what would have stopped Adam in his tracks and kept him from sinning? What would have kept him from eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? If he had paused to give thanks before eating. If Adam had thought, you know what, I'm about to eat, I need to give God thanks. If he had stopped to give God thanks, he would have realized, you know, I can't really thank God for something he's not allowing me to have. You can't thank God for stolen goods. So really, you could put it this way. The original sin is failing to say grace before a meal. It's really that simple. The original sin, the sin in the garden, is failing to thank God. It's failing to offer up a prayer of thanks to God before eating. Adam started eating without thanking first. And that's the whole problem. He didn't pray before he ate. Kind of puts a whole new depth of meaning in that ritual we go through at mealtime, doesn't it? Now, notice this. I want you to think about this. When we come to the Lord's table, what do we do before we eat? Well, what did Jesus do before giving his disciples the bread and the wine at the Last Supper, as we call it, in the upper room? We seek to follow that pattern, that pattern Jesus gave to us. Jesus gave thanks before breaking and distributing the bread. Jesus gave thanks before they ate the bread together. And then you know what? He gave thanks again before the wine, before passing the cup. He offered another prayer of thanksgiving. Two prayers of thanksgiving. And I think what this shows us is the liturgy of the Lord's Supper, the ritualized pattern of the Lord's Supper we've been given. What is it? The liturgy of the Lord's Supper is really all about making restitution for Adam's failure to give thanks before eating. Adam didn't give thanks before he ate. Now, we give thanks before we eat and before we drink. We double up the thanksgiving. And so the supper trains us how to live. When we come to the Lord's table and we follow the prescribed pattern, the Lord's Supper trains us how to live, how to live lives of continual thanksgiving. It shows us that giving thanks is right at the heart of life. 
And that's why the Lord's Supper is also called the Eucharist. That's kind of a fancy high church name for the Lord's Supper. But you know what the word Eucharist means? It means thanksgiving. That's what the Lord's Supper is. It's the thanksgiving because two prayers of thanks over the bread and over the wine. Why? Because Adam failed to give thanks. Adam did life wrong. If we're going to do life right, it starts with thanksgiving. See, that's really what the Lord's table is. It is our weekly Thanksgiving feast. Americans have an annual Thanksgiving meal. Christians have a weekly Thanksgiving meal. And so this meal trains us to make life a perpetual thanksgiving. It trains us to give thanks without ceasing. Again, G.K. Chesterton captures this so well. Chesterton says this, You say grace before meals? All right. But I say grace before the play and the opera, and grace before the concert and the pantomime, and grace before I open a book, and grace before sketching, boxing, walking, playing, dancing, and grace before I dip the pen in ink. He goes on to say, when it comes to life, the critical thing is whether you take things for granted or take them with gratitude. Which way are you living? See, for the Christian, thanksgiving should permeate everything. All of life should be saturated with thanksgiving. Because thanksgiving is really the acknowledgement that life is good, that God is good, that our lives are filled with good things, that God has filled our lives with good things that make life worth living. Thanksgiving is the sign, the continual reminder that life is not just bearable, but enjoyable. Because giving thanks makes life a joy. To give thanks is to say yes to God. It's to say yes to life. It's to say yes to all his gifts. And it's to receive everything as a gift. And that really is the key. Saying thanks means we receive everything as a gift. There's an interesting uh, passage at the beginning of 1 Timothy chapter 4 where Paul is challenging ascetics who have crept into the church. These are false teachers who are saying that godliness requires rejecting physical things as much as possible. That, you know, we're going to be so spiritual that we detach ourselves from anything earthly or material. And so they forbid certain foods and they forbid marriage. And Paul says all of that is demonic. Paul says all of that is demonic. Instead, Paul says every creation of God is good and nothing is to be refused if received with thanksgiving. Paul says there in 1 Timothy 4, thanksgiving sanctifies our use of the creation. And so think about this. What that means is it's not bad to have things. It's not bad to have possessions, to have stuff. It's not bad to enjoy things, to enjoy the things of this world, provided you give God thanks for all of it. The right use of the world, the right use of the things of earth requires thanksgiving. It starts with thanksgiving. But I want you to see then on the other side how freeing this is. You can enjoy life's pleasures provided you are thankful. Indeed, that's how God wants it to work. For us to enjoy his gifts Because we have given him thanks for all he has provided. 
Because thanksgiving will guide our enjoyment. It will sanctify our enjoyment. It will keep our enjoyment of the things of the world from slipping into idolatry. So you can enjoy all the world has to offer, provided you can give thanks for it. Provided you do give thanks for it. And your thanksgiving will guide you in the right use of the world. Thanksgiving means you can enjoy the things of the world guilt-free. So many people are piling up guilt on us for, for enjoying most of anything, it seems like, these days. But Paul says, no, you can enjoy those things, but you have to give thanks. You have to start with thanksgiving, then you can enjoy it. Now, the person who seeks to use the things of the world without giving thanks ruins them. He ruins his enjoyment of them. Think about this. Think about an unbeliever who is living in God's world, but not giving God thanks. That unbeliever pursues all kinds of goods, but even when he gets them, he can't really enjoy them. And he can't really enjoy them because he does not receive them as gifts. And he doesn't receive them as gifts because he doesn't say thank you for them. And so I like to think of it this way. The unbeliever is like a man who has a cellar full of the finest wines. But he does not have a corkscrew. And so he cannot enjoy what he has. Now, you know what the corkscrew of life is? That's kind of a funny question to ask, I guess, in a sermon. But do you know what the corkscrew of life is? What opens the bottles so the wine can flow? Life's corkscrew is thanksgiving. Give thanks and you'll find joy. Give thanks and you'll see God's goodness. Give thanks and then you can enjoy God's gifts guilt-free. You will be guided by your thanksgiving in the right use of these things. Thanksgiving opens the floodgates of joy. Thanksgiving sets us free to enjoy God's gifts. Thanksgiving means we have all kinds of freedom in life because we receive everything in life as a gift. See, God communicates his goodness to us through created gifts. There's a place in the Bible's wisdom literature where, uh, where, where honey is, is used as a symbol of God's goodness. You think about the sweetness of honey. That's, that's, that's intended. That's designed. That's created by God to show us his goodness. Or C.S. Lewis described it this way. You know, all the gifts that God gives us, they're like sunbeams. Warm rays of the sun landing on us. And when we give thanks, we trace those sunbeams back up to their source in the sun itself. And we can then experience the giver in the gifts he has given. And that's what God wants. See, when you give God thanks, now the gift is connected to the giver. And now you're not just enjoying that thing that God has given to you, but you're enjoying God himself in the enjoyment of that thing. If you don't give thanks, then you're making an idol out of the gift. You're treating God as an object to be used for your own selfish ends rather than as a loving father to be known, praised, honored, and thanked. If you are entitled, if you have a spirit of entitlement, and let's face it, it is the spirit of entitlement that is wrecking our culture where people think, I'm owed this, I'm owed that. I've got a right to this, a right to that. If you don't give it to me, I'm going to riot in the street. That spirit of entitlement that so pervades our culture. 
If you're focused on what you are owed, thinking you deserve everything, then you will never be thankful and therefore you can never be happy. People who have a spirit of entitlement are always miserable. They are the most miserable people in the world. Because no matter how much you have or how much you add to it without thanksgiving, it won't be enough to satisfy. No matter how much you give to an entitled person, it's never enough. They're like a black hole. It just gets sucked in and it's gone. They want more. It didn't satisfy. See, think about this. There are two ways to live here. Two ways to live laid out for us. Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving Thanksgiving focuses on the giver. When you give thanks, that focuses you on the giver. The giver of these gifts. And so then you can enjoy them. But what if you refuse to give thanks? If you ignore this obligation to start with Thanksgiving, well then you're going to focus not on what you have, but on what you still don't have. And you're going to end up hating your life. Because whatever you have, it's not going to be enough. Those are two ways of looking at the world. Two ways of living in the world. It is humbling to say thank you. That's what we have to train our kids to say thank you. Because it is humbling to have to say thanks. Because in saying thanks, you acknowledge your dependence. In saying thanks, you acknowledge you would not be who you are or have what you have if it were not given to you. But you know what God does for the humble He exalts them. And that's why thanks and joy so often go together in Scripture. And so today, let's say thank you. Let's thank those in our congregation who have worked so hard to get us into this building. Let's thank one another for all the different ways we have served and ministered to one another, even a very difficult time, this this time of pandemic. Most of all, Let's say thank you to God. Let's say thank you to the God who has made all this possible, who gives us everything we have. Let's say thank you to, yes, the God who gives us church buildings to worship in and homes to live in and cars in our garages and and clothes in our closets and food in our pantries. Let's give thanks to God for the family and, and, and friends he's blessed us with. Let's give God thanks for our health. Let's give God thanks for our burdens, knowing he uses those trials, those difficulties, those struggles as a chisel to shape us and mold us into the image of Christ. Let's thank God for the blessings of the gospel, that he has adopted us into his family, that he has forgiven all of our sins through the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's thank God for fellowship we have in the church. Let's thank God for his word and the wisdom he gives us through it. Let's thank God for the transformation He works in our lives, the sanctification He works in us. Let's thank God for all of these blessings. Gift upon gift upon gift has been given to every one of us. Gifts that pertain to this life, gifts that pertain to the life to come. Give God thanks. Give God thanks for all of it. Your whole life is one gigantic gift. Here's another way you can think about it. You know, if you if you struggle with joy, if you struggle with happiness, if you are not a generally happy person, this is likely the reason right here. You do not live a life of thanksgiving. You're restless, you're discontent, you're unhappy because in failing to give thanks, you are separating the gifts from the giver. And if that's you this morning, 
then giving thanks will change your life. You've heard me say this before, this little proverb. I, I like it. I'll share it with you again this morning. I think it bears repeating. No amount of regret can change your past. No amount of worry can change your future. But any amount of thanksgiving can transform your present. Thanksgiving is the gateway to joy. So let's give God thanks together. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.